Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Extra Time, a web-only sports programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. In the programme this week, we discuss the future for the All-Whites in the post-Ricky Herbert era. We hear from Herbert, the All-Whites captain Tommy White and former captain Danny Hay, along with sports psychologist Professor Gary Hermanson. The All Blacks chase an unbeaten season in their 14th and final test of the year in Ireland. And we hear from Richie McCaw as he officially hands back the World Cup, the Webb Ellis Trophy, to the International Rugby Board. The field's unveiled for the Auckland Tennis Classic and the Silver Ferns coach Wai Tamanu names her squad for January's Tour of England. The outgoing Otherwise coach Ricky Herbert says he leaves the job proud of his achievements but he's taken a swipe at his critics, labelling them jealous. Herbert's eight-year tenure as New Zealand coach came to an end at Wellington's Westpac Stadium when the Otherwise lost their second-leg World Cup qualifier to Mexico 4-2 during the week. They lost the first leg in Mexico City 5-1. Herbert, a defence-oriented coach, polarised opinion in his approach and a whispering campaign suggested senior players like Brian Nelson were in fact responsible for coaching the side when it reached the 2010 World Cup. Herbert believes the criticism was born out of jealousy as he was coaching both the Wellington Phoenix and the All-Whites at the same time. I guess when my tenure started and the dual role sort of capacity, I think, you know, generated a lot more interest around the media. How can a guy do sort of two jobs? Um, and I, I, I guess that's been something where people have always wanted to attack from a, it's not possible to do it. And, you know, I think with the national side, to actually juggle two jobs, which was always kind of the quote, but we went to a World Cup in one shot, one tenure, we went to a World Cup. And I might be wrong, but I'm the first New Zealand-born coach to do it. So that's pretty special for me. But I think there's been incredible sort of jealousy from certain areas of the, of, of the market that have never wanted to accept that success. That's Ricky Herbert. The All-Whites captain, Tommy Smith, says, while disappointed to have failed to make the World Cup in Brazil next year, he's pleased his side turned in a competitive performance to fare well, Herbert. We played a lot better as a team, passing-wise. Um, created a few half opportunities in the first half that we didn't quite take um, and they hit us on the counter-attack which we always knew they were going to be capable of um, but it hit us hard you know and um, I thought the lads grow- uh, showed great character in coming back from that 3-0 down, that, you didn't feel that was justified? I didn't think so, on the balance of the actual football being played I thought we were, we were matching them uh, but obviously they took their chances and we didn't The penalty miss, how crucial do you think that was to possibly getting you going at least. Yeah, obviously um, that would have been a changing point in the match and I'm just gutted for Brock really because he's still waiting for his first international goal and um, we thought it was a prime opportunity for him to do that but you know he never shirked any responsibilities and he carried on battling away which showed the character of the guy. What do you make of the side now? Obviously built to Eloma, Storm Brook, got a, got a run, what, the, the future? Well the potential is definitely there, it's, it's up to them now to go back to their clubs. 
uh, carry on working hard to develop that potential and, and become leading international stars for us. Did, did changing that approach from week to week, did, did that come naturally enough? Yeah, I think so. You know, everyone's used to uh, playing in a four, a back four at their clubs. So it was, it was always going to be a natural transition into that. And we had to go more attacking to try and get some goals, you know. And uh, unfortunately, we conceded a few more. But on the whole, things looked a lot more positive out there. A lot of the players from there were in our Olympic team. And uh, that's how we, we tried to play at the Olympics. So it was just a continuation from that, really. And we tried to encourage the players that were out of that Olympic squad to join in. And, um, you know, the players came in and gave it a real good go. Uh, like I say, the character we showed second half after being 3-0 down, it was easy to shy away from it. But people kept wanting the ball, kept getting on it. And uh, we, got, we got our two goals, which we, which we uh, wanted to give to the fans, something to shout about. And you got back to 3-2. The draw was maybe at the back of your mind? Oh, definitely, you know, you're, th you're thinking that um, when the second goal goes in, but unfortunately we gave the ball away and, and get, uh, cost us a goal again, which deflated us a little bit, but, you know, we kept battling to the end and uh, I think that just shows the spirit of Kiwi, of Kiwi lads, you know, and uh, we'll, we never say die and we'll keep going to the end. What did Ricky say post-match? Obviously this is his last game, what, what did he say to him? He didn't say anything straight after the game. I think he's probably feeling a bit emotional himself, so um, I think he'll probably say something to us when we get back for dinner now. I don't think anyone went up to him personally, because obviously we know what a moment it's been for him. You know, he's been a really, a really good manager for us. He's got us to a World Cup, and I don't think anyone should forget that. Um, and it was a more difficult path this time round. So, um, no, I'm, I'm disappointed for him to go out the way we did, but, um, well, especially the first leg. Uh, he didn't deserve that. Um, but no, uh, the second leg, we, we thought we gave him something to smile about. I was talking to All-Whites captain Tommy Smith. But the former All-Whites captain Danny Hayes described Herbert as a narcissist, saying he needs to leave the role gracefully. As we heard just there before, Herbert took a swipe at some of his critics, saying that they were jealous of what he'd achieved. But Danny Hay told Morning Report Simon Mercep that anyone who takes on a high-profile coaching role must accept criticism. Oh, look, I think if you're, if you're going to put yourself in the, in the position to take two jobs, you've, you've got to take your fair share of criticism. Cheap is what, what all black coach doesn't cop criticism um, when, when things aren't going well. So, look, if he, if he, if he didn't want criticism, then, then don't do the job. You know, yep. uh, like the thing about the jealousy, I, I find that a little narcissistic, to be perfectly honest with you. It's, um, it's, you know, he's, he's had a very good run and he's done some great things for the game here. But, you know, it's, it's time for him to move on now. It'd be just nice if he did it with some grace. All right. And what about the point? Was it the likes of Ryan Nelson who was just as responsible for the 2010 success as Ricky Herbert? Oh, look, there's, there, were, there were a number of people, and Ricky was one of them. You know, uh, Ricky played his part, absolutely. And so did, so did Ryan Nelson, so did Simon Elliott, and so did a number of other players. You know, you can't pinpoint and say it was one person that, that led to the success. Everybody, everybody within that team, and, you know, some more than others, um, were, were big parts of, of what was such a, a, an amazing uh, time in New Zealand football. All right, so Ricky Herbert's reign is over. A new coach has to be appointed. What are your thoughts on who that person should be and what sort of background they should have? Oh, look, uh, I think we probably need to look beyond just the coach at the moment. I, I think there's a, there's a genuine need for, a, for an inquiry um, from an independent person as to how the entire game's run. Uh, you know, for me, that's just the tip of the iceberg as uh, a new coach. And yes, that is important, but I think there's, there's bigger factors to address here. And that's, that's you know, 
how is the game being run? Are the all whites being given the best chance possible to succeed? And that's just not what a coach. Um, that's that's coming from from well above where where Ricky's been over the last few years. You know, can can New Zealand football honestly say they've given those players and Ricky the best chance to, to succeed? Or you know, I'd argue, and I'm sure most people would argue that they that they certainly haven't. So I think there needs to be an independent review. We've got some very very talented players coming through, some some young quality. Um, attack-minded, position-based sort of in terms of their thinking and their style uh, sort of players. And, and I think we need to really um, protect them and look after those players and ensure that they can develop and evolve into into a great all-whites team. Because I'm certain I'm certain they can. OK, d- just quickly, I mean, so that, what you're suggesting is that the people at the top of New Zealand football need to take a good look at themselves, open themselves up to criticism. How likely is that to happen? Well, if they're going to do their own internal review, then that's that's you know they're going to give the thumbs up to themselves as they, as they constantly do. There needs to be somebody from outside the game, uh, as Australia did 10, 12 years ago, where there needs to be uh, an independent inquiry and and look at the game as a whole and say how can we move this forward? What do we need to do to um, put steps in place so that the game can evolve and we can. And, and not just from, I'm not just talking all whites, but I'm talking right the way through from top to bottom. How are we going to start producing better players? It's former all whites captain Danny Hay. So, Ricky Herbert has been Mr. Football in New Zealand for the past eight years. But having departed from the Wellington Phoenix and now the all whites in little more than a year, his change in circumstances will take some adjustment, says Massey University sports psychologist Professor Gary Hermanson. They're going to be uh, largely to do with um, a change of identity for Ricky. He's been in that uh, area and, as you say, Mr Football, and that's been a large part of who he is for a number of years now, and that's how he's been defined. And he has to move into a space now where that's no longer part of his own identity, and some of it will depend upon what he's going into, if there's something available which will help to uh, keep the same kind of direction in football, then that would be easier. But if it's a shift of much more magnitude, then that's going to be a bit of a struggle for him. And I think we've seen some signs in the um, media process and the interviews that he's he's made over the last wee while in announcing his uh, intention to shift uh, of what that struggle has been. There's been that um, uh, initially trying to establish and reinforce the contribution that he's made in terms of the World Cup uh, venture to South Africa. And uh, once that's been established, I think he's then moved on to a, a signs of a, a little bit more of a, an acceptance of the reality of what's involved. The comments that he's made certainly indicate he doesn't feel that he was recognised or has been recognised enough for getting the all-white through the 2010 World Cup. That's obviously played on his mind and you, you feel there's a sense of bitterness, or you can see there seems to be a sense of bitterness there. Well, I think that was said at a time when it was clear that in many ways he was being you know, almost pressured out of the job. And I think at that point, there was a, probably a little bit of anxiety that, that the legacy that he might have left would have been tainted by the result of Mexico. And I think he was probably wanting to just reconnect people's thinking around what contribution he had made. And then having done that, it's almost like he's recently been speaking much more in terms of accepting and being able to move out on his terms and um, and also looking ahead into the future. And uh, I think that's been a, a major part of the transition. And it's not easy. It's a bit like you know a grief process, really. You have to deal with... Uh, with the shock of it all and the and the the tension and the difficulty and the anxiety, 
but there is a point where you come with as a point of acceptance and then when that happens you're often able to then look ahead and move forward and that'll be a part of the of the challenge for him is to be able to both um, feel comfortable with what he's done but also have something to, to look ahead and to move into. I'd imagine that uh, any process as to whether you're going on your own terms or whether you're feeling as though you're being pressured out of the job ha- has a huge impact on your psychological sense. Yes, yes. I think it's, it, it is, as you say, it's huge because um, there's a sense of, of control and, and self-esteem when you're at a point when you're making a decision yourself, even though it may have been a decision which reality might have forced upon you. Um, but when you're being clearly pushed out or it looks like you're, you're actually being judged in such a way that you need to go, then there's a bit of a sense about your destiny has been determined by outside forces and that tends to leave you then with a sense of uh, dismay and a sense of lack of confidence and, and it challenges your own self-belief in that way. And so I think that what we've seen with Ricky over recent times is that being played out in his own psychology. I, th- I think it happens with sports men and women all the time, really. You know, it's, you come to that point where you need to move out. I mean, a recent example I've been involved with a wee bit with Matthew Sinclair, that um, you know, the cricketer whose whole life and identity has been caught up in that way. And I know it's been a, a really hard time for him, even though there have been things he's been able to move into now. There's a real major shift in who he is, and um, that that's not an easy process to go through. And I was just sort of thinking before about the Everswindells twins when they retired a number of years ago now. Um, it wasn't easy for them either, but their mother uh, um, sent them a, a card, which I thought was really quite a, a profound statement. She just said to them that um, it was really important that they were uh, not sad that it was over, but they were glad that it happened. And I think in each of those cases, you need to be able to, to look back with that sense of of delight and pleasure and and accomplishment in what you do and that plays an important part of moving forward as well. The fact that I I suppose I mean he's obviously he's not the all-black coach or he's not the coach of Brazil but he's still a a big fish in a a small pond when it comes to a place like New Zealand does that help or or hinder things? Well I think it you know as a nation we're pretty um, demanding on our athletes and um, and our coaches and um, I think that's yeah, one of the things about defines us as a nation as well, where sport is very much part of who we are. And I must say that we can be pretty harsh on our athletes uh, when they don't measure up in some way. And sometimes we can, in doing that, overlook the major contributions they've made. And so um, a, little, a lot of this, how he copes, is going to depend upon how we as a nation and how the sporting population deal with it as well. I mean, it would be unfortunate if, if um, people didn't um, see the bigger picture and just be able to endorse the things that he's done overall. And if that's the way it goes, then I think that that'll make it easier for him to make that shift. But if there's a kind of a sense of vindictiveness around the place around that, then it can be um, quite a, a can quite saturate the way in which the nation thinks about it as well. But I think there'll be a number of important people that he knows, who he cares about, and who trusts, who he trusts, who will be able to help to support him through. And I think that we, as a nation, and the sporting people, need to be able to just, um, you know, keep that in perspective as well, and you know, recognise that we're talking about a human being here, and we're not talking about somebody who we need to be indifferent to, but somebody who's made a contribution, and has certainly put a number of hours in, in the journey of trying to uh, make a contribution to New Zealand sport. I was talking to Massey University sports psychologist, Professor Gary Hermanson. You're listening to Extra Time, a web-only programme from Radio New Zealand Sport.
I'm Stephen Hewson. The All Blacks are just one win away from completing the perfect season. A win over Ireland and Dublin on Monday morning will give them a 14th win from 14 games. Here's rugby reporter Barry Guy. Now Cruden, Nonu having a go. Beautiful pass, Savia. Has he got it down? I think he has. Yes, he has. That was win number 13 for the All Blacks this year and victory against Ireland will make them the first team in the professional era to finish a year with a 100% record. Ireland will be up for the game and will give the All Blacks a good test, but Richie McCaw's men are aware of the challenge and should have the class to get through. The key to, to doing that is not just sort of turning up and hoping it'll happen, it's to prepare uh, for another big match. Um, if we get that right and we go out and perform, we give ourselves a chance. And yeah, it'd be pretty nice uh, over December to uh, sit back and reflect on that, but it ain't, ain't just going to happen type thing. Fergie McCormick played a part in a great All Black era. Between 1965 and 1970, the All Blacks recorded their longest ever winning streak of 17. Fergie says today's players have such great skill sets and each player knows their role will help the team as a whole. This is the thing I think with great sides. It's not the words on the field, it's the inner instinct of players that can trust everyone to do something on the field. Whether he's a prop, fullback, Lucy, we do have outstanding individuals in all teams, but to make that individual outstanding... You've got to look at the work the other guys do to make them great. Another great era for All Black Rugby was between 1987 and 1990, when the side went unbeaten for 23 matches, but that did include a draw. Prop Richard Lowe was a part of that side. He says one of the big differences now that helps a team is that they have so many players available and six front rowers can take part in a game, whereas in his day there weren't substitutions. However, Lowe is full of praise for the current side and he feels the setup in New Zealand rugby certainly aids the All Blacks. I think Super 15 has a lot to do with in a lot of ways. Those five groups of coaches work closely with the All Black coaches. They know the style of game is fairly close. They know what's expected of them, the professionals now, and there's one hell of a talent pool there. So is this the greatest All Black side ever? Everyone I spoke to agreed that it is too hard to compare teams from different eras. Fergie McCormick played alongside many of the greats of the game, including Brian Lahore, Ian Kirkpatrick, Ian McRae and Colin Meads. He says this team would be one of the best. Well, you've got to be up there because they're winning. And when you keep winning, you've got to be good, don't you? They've got an instinct in there. Second is not a thought. Winning is the thought, you know. You don't get a gold medal for coming second. And that's what's in our boys' mind all the time. In fact, it's the individual's preparations and mindset during a game that Coach Steve Hansen believes is so important to a side now. Mental fortitude is important. And composure that comes with that mental fortitude is important. Staying on task and and trusting yourself and your teammates to do the job is important. And, um, you know, relying on someone else to do it, uh, you've got to do your job and they'll do theirs, and it's simple as that. There is little doubt that part of the reason for the All Blacks' performance in recent years has been Kieran Reid, who is the best number eight in the world. He's taking over much of the leadership and will be a leading contender for Player of the Year. He'd love to cap off the year with another win and a perfect season. It would be a massive achievement, but in saying that, I don't think it's anything uh, that this team wouldn't be looking to do when they started out.
So I think we'd rather get a great performance on the weekend and, and get a win from that and actually showcase you know our talents and, and our game plan. And, you know, it is a massive achievement if, if, we, if we get it done. The greatest team ever? Hard to say. However, I do feel this team is playing the best rugby of any side. Hopefully that continues against Ireland. Barry Guy with that report. And the Rugby World Cup's been officially returned to the International Rugby Board. There was an official presentation in Dublin this week with All Blacks captain Richie McCall returning the Webb Ellis Trophy to Rugby World Cup Limited Chairman Bernard Lapasse. With less than two years to go until the 2015 tournament in England, the trophy will now be used to promote the eighth edition of the showpiece event. McCaw, who'll be nearly 35 when the next World Cup comes around, says he's keen to be the first international captain in history to retain the trophy. Yeah, well, it's a little bit different, isn't it? I didn't think, uh, you know, when you got given it a couple of years ago that you'd be doing that, but um, I guess that's the way it is, you know, that time moves on pretty quick and we're sort of more than halfway through the four-year cycle, so... Um, Every time I see the cup, you remind you of the hard work that went into winning it and how much it, it takes. So um, when you got given the trophy, we, you know we had had it first night, you know, with it, you know, it was pretty cool. And then after that, you sort of um, I don't know, take it for granted. But then the, the joy was to show people that uh, you know around New Zealand, you know, kids and that to get a photo with it. That was, uh, I guess, when it really hit home, you know, what you'd done and and how significant it was for everyone who supports rugby in New Zealand. And uh, you know, even. A couple of years on, you know, they got people almost, you know, still getting the chance to have a photo with it. It was pretty cool. If I look back, uh, you know, four years ago, you know, perhaps it was about this time, uh, you know, that the building of, of uh, how you play and that sort of the attitude and, and everything that you do sort of was geared towards that. So I suppose, you know, to finish off this year with a great performance, um, which we're after, um, you know, you go into sort of one year out, it, it, it you know, there's a bit of edge starts to come on, I guess. You've played in many generations of sort of all black sides now over the years. Where does this current sort of uh, 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 one rank? Uh, I think it's quite hard to compare because I, I, uh, I remember, you know, thinking back to uh, the talent we had in, in teams like in 2006 and seven. Like there was some, it was a pretty talented team. Yet we perhaps, you know, we, we did come short in, in the tournament that counted. Um, but you know, and then you look at this year, for example. Like we've got a great mix of experience, you know. With, four guys, you know, played over 100 caps and some young fellas are hugely exciting and I think we've got a really good balance at the moment. So from that point of view, um, you know, experience versus just, you know, talent and uh, that sort of youthfulness, um, I think we've got a pretty good mix and, you know, I guess the results have, have shown that this year. That's All Blacks captain Richie McCaw. And you're listening to Extra Time, a web-only programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. There's a familiar look to the field for next year's Auckland Classic Tennis Tournament with six of the eight seeds having played at the event before. Of the seeded players, only the draw card, Anna Ivanovic and Lucy Safarova are new to the event. The tournament director, Carl Budge, says he's happy with the balance of new and returning players. To have seven players in the top 30, um, as well as uh, you know, some real excitement in the likes of Venus, it's, um, it's a great field and, and one we're pretty pleased with. You mentioned Venus. I mean, who, who's, who, who do you think is going to be the draw card? It's hard to say. We haven't had a ticket sales day like we've had when, when we announced Venus, so uh, it's it's rewarding to see what the impact that she's had. Um, that said, yeah, there's going to be a, a pretty strong queue, I think, when um, when we announce which session Anna's going to be playing as well. The, it's, a, it's a wonderful position to be in to sit here and have, have both of them coming, and um, yeah, I just hope they don't throw each other in the opening rounds. And a, a big uh, European favourite. Yeah, Europe's going through a, a really good dominance in, in tennis on the women's side at the moment, and um, we, uh, 
you know, we want to obviously capitalise on that. We've uh, we've invested a lot in the in the youth of uh, of America, and I think that will be our next few years. Seeing the likes of Hampton, Manus and Keys that we had here last year, and certainly love to bring out a Sloane Stevens at some point as well. But um, you know, Europe's got its time at the moment, and, uh, and we'll try and cash in as we can. How do you think Venus is going to go? I mean, she was coming last year and got a bit sick, and you know. She- Maybe not at, at her peak. Based on what I've paid her, I, I know that she wants to be coming. So uh, it's um, that's a rewarding moment for us. But uh, yeah, look, who knows? That, that Friday night is going to be a pretty sleepless night for me before the draw to see uh, where Anna and Venus go. Right down the right down the field, even in our wild cards, you, you're going to have some serious depth that could knock those players over. So I guess it's in, in the hands of the tennis gods at the moment. Also nice to um, get Marina back as well. Adds another sort of storyline, especially in those early days. Yeah, Marina's had probably a career best year this year. She's um, won her first tournament in Memphis, backed that up with a uh, another final in, in Quebec, and uh, and had a dream run during uh, Roland Garros and Wimbledon as well. So yeah, it's great to have that local local flavour. Um, you know, I know she wants to perform here. And there's there's no tournament she wants to go deeper in than than here. So fingers crossed this year's her year. We didn't mention Yanina uh, Wickmeyer before because she's a former champion. I think she won twice, isn't she? Uh, finalist three times, three. Uh, winner once. Yanina you know, plays her best tennis here in Auckland. So, yeah, she's another one of those. Uh, you know, she's she's not a protected seed. So, where she falls on Monday, Tuesday is going to be quite interesting. But yeah, she does play her best tennis here, and she'll certainly be looking to come back and um, and go deep in the tournament. She typically does. The top seed, Roberta Vinci. A little bit about her career, uh, her season this year. Yeah, Vinci. Uh, uh, a season that's seen her win two titles. Um, she's won nine in total in singles and uh, and three Grand Slam titles in doubles. Um, she's the number one ranked doubles player in the world. Flies probably a little bit under the radar compared to some of the, the other players floating around her at the moment, but um, she's a very consistent player. Just one Fed Cup again with Italy, so she, she's another one that um, you know, you'll see her at the point end of, this, of the tournament, I'm sure. So, uh, Serrano Sestia. She was instrumental in getting Anna Ivanovic here, so obviously, you know, she's uh, great to have here as well. Yeah, uh, we put a, a plan in place last year where we went out and, and actively sought Serrano with the view of how we could bring Anna here this year. We showed Serrano the best time we possibly could, and to see her come back this year is, uh, uh, and bringing Anna with her is, is awesome. Uh, they are best friends, and um, and to, to see them Facebooking all week this week, uh, you know, me with my best friend Anna on, on the boat to Branson's tournament or me and my best friend Anna going out for dinner, it's, um, it's nice when those strategies come off. I think we've got somewhere around 19 Grand Slam titles in our, in our tournament, so there's, there's depth no matter which way you look. Um, you know, to have seven players in the top 30, I think that, that gives us that depth, you know, no matter what an Anna or a Venus are doing, to, to have those other players sitting in and around them is, um, is something that's, uh, that's pretty special. And, and two players that are you know, dubbed as the most promising players on tour are Laura Robson and Monica Pugue as well. So it's, uh, you know, you've got the stars of uh, you know, some of the biggest names, some of the brightest prospects and um, you know, some top-ranked players in between. That's the director of the Auckland Classic Tennis Tournament, Carl Budge. This week, the Silver Ferns coach Waimarama Tomanu named a predictable squad of 12 for their Tour of Britain in January. Camilo Lees is back after injury, while four players, Courtney Tairi, Bailey Mez, Phoenix Karaka and Malia Pasika, have been named as part of a training squad. The Silver Ferns will play matches against Scotland and England. The Silver Ferns were beaten by Australia in their series this year, and Tomanu says some issues from that prompted plenty of debate over selections have looked pretty hard at the Constellation Cup and we think we need to develop more power and better rebounding capability at both ends. So uh, Malia and Phoenix are from the under-21s, but those are strengths of their game. 
and um, Bailey has been injured, so hasn't had the time that I would have liked her to have had this year with Vicky Wilson. Um, and so that's about giving her and Marlia some concentrated time with Vicky. So the, the, the team has um, a slight overload on shooters, but it was in that end that we were um, a little bit wanting in terms of accuracy and rebounding. And Bailey and Marlia, we feel quite strongly, are the two standouts who weren't in the group in the Constellation Cup that we think we could develop in that area. Um, similarly, Phoenix, from a rebounding and shot-marking perspective. And then Courtney is um, bringing Bort along because we're such a long way away from home, it's too hard to bring replacements um, quickly in the event of injury. And we're just conscious that it's Millie's first time out again. It will be seven months before since she's played by the time she does get back on the court in England. So we're just being a bit mindful. Um, and it also means we get another chance to look at Courtney. So those are, that's the rationale. So there was discussion, but um, I think... Um, agreement and pretty early on. So the rebounding issue, is that a matter of finding the uh, physical type players? Yes, partly it is. Um, and look, it's a, it's a matter of um, you know percentage points. Um, but when you're winning and losing games by one and two goals, it's that level of detail that's important. So yes, Bailey and Marley are, it, as shooters, it's, um, they're very strong. Um, and similarly, Phoenix in the other end. Um, so Small, small things, but it's small things now that are going to make the difference for us. And at the shooting end, is that also a combinations type thing, or what are you wanting to develop from the players that you have there? Oh, but we're taking the fourth in the Constellation Cup, and yes, we'll take the time to grow combinations. Um, Marlia and Bailey, it, it really is about giving them some concentrated time with Vicky, and as I say, investing in two people that we think um, have the capability to... Um, be good at the things we've identified we need some improvement on. That is not to say we're not expecting improvements from the four incumbents either. So this series in Britain, uh, does it give you, are you wanting to see, well, not major changes, but significant steps considering this is the last before the Commonwealth Games? We'd like to see some real improvements in, in some quite... Um, specific areas, um, shooting accuracy and rebounding in the, in the, in the attack end. Um, some consistency across our measures. We have benchmark measures for every game, and we tended in the Constellation Cup to improve in one area but not be able to hold another. So it is about really maintaining a, a level of performance across all aspects of the game and doing that through the five games. You, you've picked a squad that you know, you've had pretty much... Uh for a while now. So these improvements that you're after, how do you achieve that? Is that personal, individual improvements or is that a team thing? I mean, how do you get that extra bit out of them that you want, obviously, to beat the Australians? Yes, look, we're working on that now. So the um, training programs are very focused for some of them on um, power, um, elevation and upper body strength. So that's around the rebounding. Um, Vicky's put together some... Um, pretty detailed uh, shooting programs for the shooters, so they have a couple of weeks off following Fast Five and they'll be back into it um, either this week or next, depending on um, where they're at. So all of those things are in place now, and then it's a matter of making sure that we monitor really closely. Um, and we've got good video footage and that we can um, work with players on an individual basis to make sure that the technical aspects that will help them to make those individual and incremental improvements are there. It just goes to show, I suppose, how much uh, things have changed and it's become more physical. Uh, you know, the things that you're wanting from your players, and if you you know compare it, say, to basketball, they always talk about basketballers need broad shoulders to box out and all those sorts of <laughs> things, you know. Is, is that what it's coming to? 
Um, I think so. And look, we um, I'm pretty keen to get some basketballers in to um, help us out with rebounding techniques. So there's the technical aspect, there's the strength aspect, and then to get out there and do it aspect. So, um, you know, we're working on the strength stuff now. We'll have a look at the technical things while we're away, and then we'll we'll measure by by playing. So you call in, you know, do you have a what they call like a strengths coach or something? Do you? We have a strength and conditioner, yes. Uh, but just you're looking to increase that sort of thing. We are, but we've been doing that um, for a little while now. So again, these are particularly for the athletes who've been in the program for a while. They are very strong. So this is quite tailored to, you know, perhaps upper body, perhaps lower body. Um, so it varies from player to player. But yes, we've been pretty focused um, in the circle ends um, on a couple of players around improving their physical capability to rebound. That's Silver Fence coach Waitamanu talking to Barry Guy. The 16-day tour of Britain will be the last time the squad's together before competing in July's Commonwealth Games in Glasgow. And that brings us to the end of Extra Time for another week. Remember, if you wish to contact us, you can email us at sport at radionz.co.nz. I'm Stephen Hewson. Bye for now. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.